Jason to another episode of Walker's Appeal, aka The Appeal. This is on the Wake Up Radio. Shout out to Sister Cindy Ashby, the best engineer slash producer in the game. <laughs> I am Oz Bryan, and my co-host. I'm Rob Williams. See, yeah. so we here for another episode. How's your week, brother? Pretty good. Pretty good. No complaints. You know, um, here on. Here on Walker's Appeal, you know, we always function in the spirit of Sankofa, always looking back in order to make sense of where we are and, most importantly, where we must go, right? Well, uh, when you understand your history, uh, your your next steps are predestined. Don't ever think that you're going through something that hasn't been going through uh, before you. So that's why you always lean on the ancestors uh, to provide guidance. And it's there, right? If, you, if only we look, it's always there. So we got to... Uh, a, a hell of a show lined up for you today. Um, uh, we're going to be discussing the uh, Attica Prison Rebellion, right? Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, because that, that happened uh, this week back in 1971. Uh, we're going to be reflecting on the 16th Street Baptist Church bombing. When those four little girls got killed back in 1963. You understand the context. that Again, that was this week, back in 1963. Uh, on the heels of this massive storm and the other storms that are coming our way, uh, we want to reflect back on the 1928 uh, Okeechobee hurricane down in Florida, right? Um, and this week also marks the anniversary of uh, Booker T. Washington's Atlanta Address back in 1895. We're also going to be discussing... Uh, pull this up here. Bear with me. Bear with me. Yeah, you know we live. We live. We live. Uh, we're also going to be discussing uh, the difference between mutual aid and society and charity and charity. All right, so there's a lot of mutual aid groups coming up, uh, and that's a great reflection back on the great black African tradition, black tradition, the, the first mutual aid society in this country was the Free African Society. <laughs> right, the first organization to That's offer right. to offer free school and, and medicine, medical services it, uh, was freed Africans, free slaves, people who had just come out of slavery. The people who technically had the most, the least, were given the most. Right, the people who had the least to give were given the most. Ain't that how it always is? And um, we'll, we'll also touch on black myth in America in American media. Um, but let's, uh, I guess we'll start off with, uh, the Attica Prison Rebellion. <laughs> the Attica Prison Rebellion, uh, the Soledad Brothers, uh, uh do, you, do you remember anything about, uh, have you read anything about the Attica I Prison Rebellion? I, I wasn't there for that one. <laughs> <laughs> <You wasn't there? laughs> uh, well, I wasn't either. It is a famous, uh, prison revi- uh, rebellion, revolt, whatever you want to call it, it's because of it's, well, how long it went and it was televised. Yeah. I, I, and, yeah, we're televised. Um, and, you know, one of the, so, uh, when we look at the Constitution, the Constitution bans slavery except and if you're incarcerated, so you're a, you're a full citizen, except 
if you're incarcerated. Then you actually remanded back to slavery, right? So <laughs> the the country, even up to this day, 2021, still holds on to the remnants of slavery through our arcane that arcane piece of legislature there. And um, the first uh, has always been free labor, and so there is a push to have that the section of the Constitution amended. Right? I mean, we really shouldn't be practicing slavery in any way, shape, or form. Right? It's not okay. Even more egregious today, because at least when it was originally conceived of, you would be doing your debt to society. Literally, you were back into the hands of the state or the you know federal government. So, whenever you finished your term, in theory, you'd go back to being a full citizen. Now, when you go to prison, you're still you're not even doing labor for the state, really. You're doing it for private companies in a lot of cases. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's taken on a whole different. Now it's even corporate slavery. So it's just like straight up. It they find new ways to find new loads. Yeah, I mean, and um, so <laughs> you know, not only do I do a podcast, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of the format, the podcast format, and. Uh, uh, a dear brother, I consider him a brother. He's the grandson of uh, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. His name is uh, Khalil Gibran Muhammad. Uh, he's a historian. He actually used to run the uh, Schomburg Library. Um, but he, he, he's an academic. So he has a new podcast uh, with, uh, I guess, his white friend that he grew up with called Some of My uh, Best Friends Are, are, are Dot, Dot, Dot. Um, and uh, their second episode, they, they visit prison. They visit prison in Europe, uh, in, in Germany. Some of my best friends are, that, that, that's the name of the podcast. Their second episode has to do with the prison system. And so they visit the system in the prison in Germany, and they're now, it, it's a prison. <laughs> no, no mistakes about it. But the idea isn't to, it's, it's more geared towards reform. And we talk about Germany, and we're talking but a lot of the European system is like that, especially when you look at the Scandinavian places. They they admit that they're geared more towards reform, where our system is geared more towards punitive. You know, like, yeah, exactly. And, yeah, so like it's not that you know. So I guess he visited it with uh, he visited. Well, I actually take that back. It wasn't it? Was either Germany or Helsinki? It might have been Scandinavia that he visited. Mm-hmm. I don't remember that the detail. But he talked about how it, the feel was just different, right? It was more reformative. Um, there, there is lockdown. Uh, Dude, there is lockdown. I've seen one-bedroom apartments that don't look as good as that cell. <laughs> and, and yeah, and so the idea of what what the you know you, you hear, well you know you watch TV I guess and you see like the you have to take a the, the toilet is out and open. Right, uh, in 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 prisons, and never had to deal with open bay barracks. That's not such a bad deal. <laughs> but in European prisons uh, that he visited in Scandinavia, they give you that privacy, right? Um, it's, it's more about trying to uh, make you get you prepared to enter back into society, right? The system we have here, you know, after you spend fifty years or forty years in our systems. You really, not, you really set up to go right back in because you're not really ready to, to to function on the outside, right? You got to reacclimate yourself, and so they try not to do that. And um, it's interesting to see what the recidivism rates would be uh, here if we had a, a similar system. Um, we also have a much larger system too. That's one thing people always overlook. I mean, they're investing in it as a part of it may be just a different point of view that forms it. So when you start with that different base, you're going to build a different system on that foundation. They're looking at it like, okay, we're going to have to deal with these people long-term and we're going to get them back into society at some point. So what are we releasing with us? It's they're counting on the revolving door, I think, because if, if this person really doesn't get any better, then they're going to go back into the system and that's going to mean more court fees, more recidivism, which means a higher profit. You literally have had, and it's at its prime, you know, private prisons were donating to many, many different politicians and were making up a part of the state's revenue. 
I'm glad you said that. All right. Because <laughs> there's a, at the end of the podcast, he talked, because again, his name is Khalil Gibran Muhammad. He's a black man, small black man. Uh, you could tell he's Muhammad, he's Elijah Muhammad's uh, grandson. He's a small, like small in the stature, like Elijah Muhammad, same shape head. Hold on. Thank you. <laughs> But his name is Muhammad. Yeah. And um, he admittedly says he doesn't travel overseas a whole lot. Uh-huh. He doesn't. And he's coming back. And, you know, they pull you randomly when they when they want to search you or ask you questions. Uh-huh. All right. Lo and behold, coming back to the United States, he's pulled. The, the, the guard says, um, uh, what do you, where are you coming from? He says, uh, in the Navy, Germany, what have you. Yeah. Why are you there? Why were you there? <laughs> she says, I was visiting prison. And she's like, oh. He's like, why are you doing that? You know, the, the whole nine yards. Uh, let, let me not get the me not misquote him here. But then he says, let me get this right. He says, over there, they don't try to throw people away. Mm-hmm. And then the guard says, that makes sense. They don't have any blacks over there. That's what the guard told him to his face. <laughs> I mean, I got laughed. That's what the guard told him to his face. They don't have any blacks over there. Of course, they're not trying to throw people away. So he said, that makes sense. And he, he, it is a somber moment. Like you could tell, it had an effect on him. You know what I mean? Uh, and, and so, <clears throat> and you got to know, um, you know, Elijah Muhammad's kids, if you read anything about Elijah Muhammad, now, his kids grew up in a privilege, uh, you know, and his kids' kids obviously grew up in a sense of privilege, right? The, the, the brother went to Harvard. So, you know, hey, he's a, he's a privileged guy. <laughs> so, uh, you know. It, it, I wish I could say statements like that still surprise me, but I've come to the point where that's what I expect. And not out of just malice. It's underlying all of it is deep-seated insecurity. So the need to say something like that, the need to try and put oneself above no matter what is literally all these people have. So when you come across someone like that, that's it. That's as good as it's going to get for them. This is literally all the fucking thing in the world they have. So to take the idea that they could be better away that's why we won't get rid of that kind of racism here in America for some time. It would take a truly humbling moment culturally to remove that because it's all they've built upon. That's why you have the fake identity of white and white only exists in America. Any other place you go where there are Europeans, they have an actual culture. If you ask someone from Norway what their culture is, they can tell you. If you ask someone from Germany what their culture is, they can tell you they have festivals and they honor their culture. That's this is part of the reason actually I want to deal with the No, I believe I think these folks well they all understand their culture because they all know their last names. They know exactly No, 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 no. No, no, no. Do not reduce it just to the last name. This is something much deeper and different. No, 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 no. But I'm not not reducing what I'm saying is I'm not I'm saying they can trace it back and they do celebrate it. That's why we no. have German parts of town. That's why we have no. Italian parts of town. That's why no. we have Irish parts of town. That's why we have Irish parts of town. They honestly did. The boys was Irish parts of the community. Don't tell me they don't know where they come from. Let me finish. If they truly understood and were part of their culture, they would not be white. They would be German-American. They would be Norwegian-American. I have a friend right now who I spoke with earlier today who I was with in the Navy. He's Norse. He will tell you flat out he's Norse because he actually understands his family and his culture. He's not a white American. No, but listen, listen to what I am saying and try to understand where I'm coming from. This white is not a thing. White is something that American culture made up to incorporate all these people. Very true. But what does he check on the census? What did he check when he joined the military? He like Norse, and the military offers you other. For just that reason, I know because I wrote mixed myself. There is a very distinct difference that gets overlooked in pop culture and here and all over. And it is what is helping to form this. Do you think he checked others? I know he does. 
This is why I'm telling you this. And this is what is aggravating that it does get overlooked because it is a key component of what helps drive this nonsense. If you can make this fake culture and make it this homogenous thing that gives these under this underclass of loserdom something to latch onto that is fake, then you can never defeat it because it's always changing. It is literally no, a no, 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 no. I disagree with you on that, brother. No, 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 no. The they, they created it. You can't you do not it have force rallies. You have white power rallies. You do not have Italian power rallies. Irish and Scottish descent. You have white power rallies by people of Irish and Scottish and Polish descent. They Italian attend, descent. but they do not go as an Irish power rally. If you talk to an actual person who's Irish and uh, celebrates their Gaelic culture, they're more interested in what the border situation is over there in their actual native land than they are with anything going on right now. Because they have actual relatives that they're concerned about who are caught behind an English border that's being reinforced. And those are issues I got from them. So when you actually talk to them about it, this is something that has occurred over and over again. These are different people. America has attempted to make two different cultures, and they succeeded, especially with making a fake white culture. Okay, I agree with you on that. I agree with you on that. White is not real, but they have succeeded with it, and I don't care what people tell you or what any one person tells you. It is not talking about what we see in practice. Clearly, under exactly. See, what we see in practice is a whole bunch of people who identify as white, not because they don't know nothing else, because it works. White, white is a privileged position, and so therefore, I'm gonna take my privilege. It works. That's why they do it. And that's the thing you can't defeat. That's why you will still see those divisions overseas. That's why you can have that quote unquote fake American identity. That's why it's what they have to cling to. This has been addressed over and over again in many different areas, but it's something that keeps slipping by, and it's something that really needs to be addressed, both politically well, who, and socially. Who's going to address it? Anyone who actually wants to attack the problem seriously needs well, to okay. attack if, on that if, level. If it works, if it's if, it, if it's a position of privilege, right? Why would I address it if it if it works for somebody? Why would they address it? They have no incentive to address it. No, no incentive to ever address it. Ever. You have to attack it where it doesn't work. If you're going to take it on. Now, you're talking about two different fights now, too. That's not a fight that anybody who isn't white can't have. Just like with racism. In-culture group racism isn't something that anyone else outside of that culture can do about it. I can't make another Caucasian or white or whatever person be nice I'm not even in those same spaces. I can't make your racist-ass cousin not be racist. The only one who could even check that person would be you because you would be in the room with them when they're doing racist shit. So that's a different mission altogether and not a mission anyone should take. What would the purpose? Why would they do that? Why would they care to check that person? That person treats them well. What's the incentive? You're making a something on that. I'm just stating the fact that that's not a fight. A person who says white power is loving people simply because they are white or they appear to be white or so-called white. That means they're working for you. Even if you disagree with them, they're fighting for you. Why would you go against that? You have no intention to go against somebody who's fighting for you. That's actually not true. That's not true by... That's true. true. That's no sense. Oh, my God. That's why it exists. That's why it continues to exist. Because they have an incentive for it to exist. If I it's, for just you, it's just another form. It's just another form. You ain't gonna feel it. You get to go home and close your door and go to sleep. Why There's would you want to be the underclass? It's literally just an excuse to make another underclass, and that's the thing. You, if you are, if you were to take on this fight for whatever reason. Those would be the people that you would target, which would be the actual white underclass, those ones who aren't getting the benefits of it other than just being called white. There's but plenty of poor white folks that understand that. Is, they created the idea said, that's not a fight that anyone else should engage. The purpose of the white is to, is to bring them in with little benefit, but at least they're white. It's great when you have a buffer. When you have somebody who's at the bottom so you'll never be at the bottom, that's a benefit. And can yeah, you take yeah. that benefit? 
if somebody is permanently at the bottom, so I will never be at the bottom, that's fine. That, 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 this is how the logic works. Yeah, I understand that. That was why <laughs> I said that first. My point is that, one, you should not be surprised, and neither should your friend have been surprised at that answer because of where it comes from. That was my whole point in bringing this up, where that answer stems from. Point two, that's not something he can address. That's not something any of us can address. You would have to go after the people who have been in white solidarity movements, white worker movements, things like that, who understand that they are being used by that term too. But that's not a fight anybody outside of that group can have. So if you just want to keep it along those lines, fine. But understand that you can't attack that problem. Understand where that's coming from and then deal with it. And that's why you will have this always. Until that is, there is a truly humbling moment. You would need China to actually become the global hegemon. If America's knocked down a peg, you'll start to see a little bit of that change because there won't be the same in-group benefits from that anymore. You know what? And, and, and that's something we can discuss another day. I don't even think that would be the case. I think white supremacy functions to make sure it wins even when it's actually losing. It's a mentality that says I'm going to win or I am winning no matter what I do. There is no... Uh, well, that's why we're going to discuss mutual aid later on because... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not sure if that's the solution. But yeah, we'll get to it. It's very much a solution. That's literally what you just alluded to. You can't have it both ways. Either it's a complete in-group thing or it's not. Either it's a, you're going to relate to it across class and use that to unite, or you're not. It, it, we really yeah, have to yeah. even, when, even when we, we, we focus on class, there's still racism. So focusing on class don't fix racism. That's when you have union movements, when you had the labor, when you had the pro, standing up to the big capital, they, did, they still want to exclude the blacks. So you can't just skip over the race issue and go to class like that's going to work. That's never worked. That's never worked. Even when we tried to do it, it didn't work. Did I say skip over that? No. You just said if we don't get to classism. I'm saying yes. even when you try to address no. classism. You have classism. to address classism within our own in-group, too. They're not mutually exclusive. There's plenty of rich education. You just said yourself your friend was taken aback because he's a Harvard type. He's not, he's not my friend. I don't know. He's Elijah Muhammad's grandson. He's Elijah Muhammad's cut. I don't give a fuck. My point is, he should not have been surprised by that. That's my fucking point. It's to get down to the cultural level. You do have to acknowledge the fact that you're dealing with different cultural sets. That's why when you're... That's why you can have the resurgence of fucking Russian Nazis. You know how many fucking Russians died fighting Nazis and these confused motherfuckers are running around singing Heil Hitler? They have the exact same in-group, out-group problem because culture is being manipulated. So if you don't understand where that manipulation is actually stemming from, you will continue to chase your fucking tails. So with that, let, let's uh, let's jump to the next uh, issue, and uh, that is the anniversary of the the bombing of the 16th Street Baptist Church. Um, uh, this is a big. This is very. How can I say? Uh, it's a monumental occurrence because it actually happens literally two weeks after the march on Washington. And Martin Luther King's famous I Have a Dream speech. Like, this is the, the coming back to Earth, right? So that was a big high. Everybody was, you know, uh, on cloud nine, you know, kumbaya moment down in D.C. And then uh, three weeks later, I'm, uh, I'm going to recite their names. You got uh, Addie Mae Collins, Cynthia Wesley, uh, uh, Carol uh, Robertson, and uh, Carol Dennis McNair are the four little girls who were in the 16th Baptist Street Church at the time and raised for Sunday school uh, when uh, 1860 dynamite exploded and killed them. And so, um, uh, you know, you, you can research, there's a lot of critiques, even by like James Baldwin, right? Because he because the, the March on Washington, there were a lot of people who weren't allowed to speak, right? Because mm -hmm. they, they wanted to keep a certain kind of, so no, you couldn't be too controversial. So I automatically, you know, I'm not allowed on the mic. 
<laughs> and, and so, you know, but, um, you know, this kind of says right now, we're not at a, at this kumbaya moment that we would like to think we are. And, um, uh, it was a sobering moment in, in, in this country's history and the history of race relations. I mean, um, feudalism has no place for a kumbaya moment. People really need to get over that shit. Yeah, 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 agreed, agreed. Agreed, agreed. Again, our inability to actually face facts impedes our battle. This is the biggest problem I see on the left, the inability to grapple with reality. And is our fucking opponent for what it is. What, what's worse, what's worse, what's worse is that... Um, The folks, uh, let's see here. Uh, we got uh, one. So, who are the good guys? We have off about this right now, Oz, is because I see out there we have black right wingers and leftists talking about the best option forward is a dissolution of the union. You have black activists out there right now pushing the same kind of separatist rhetoric that you would see a southerner from like the Confederate era talking about. Again, it's okay. That's it's called it's called democracy because you're supposed to have a freedom of ideas. I so get that. that. Like you're talking about people who would rather go back to a system of states' rights, which is the actual origin of how you got enslaved. States' rights that, are not the origin. That to me says that there's a serious disconnect, and we're running out of ideas. States' rights is not the reason why we got enslaved. States' rights is how different States' rights are exactly how they were able to enforce it and extend it. They, so that I, but for those same people, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, I don't want to misquote them. I'm not sure who you're referencing. They're also talking about taking over a few states, if I'm not mistaken. So therefore, yes. We went over this before. The math don't work. The math and the money don't work. So that's a pipe dream that just... I'm, again, that's, I'm not sure. They, maybe they deal with different oh, math. Do you know, I don't know who you're referencing. Maybe they deal with different math. But again, in a democracy, you're supposed to have freedom of ideas. I'm not criticizing nobody's ideas. That's I'm going to criticize someone's ideas if they're talking about just getting people shot for no damn reason. You better be talking about buying body armor before bullets if that's your plan. The problem with America is not the activity of black folks. It's not the ideas of black folks. That's not what's wrong with America. So I'm not going to blame black folks for anything they're thinking of when we're talking about fixing this issue, because it's not their responsibility to fix it. I'd rather blame them now and stop them before they get shot on a state capitol. Some people are ready to die. Some people are ready to kill. Okay. So they're, they're that we went over this again before, too. That is never a good plan. The plan is to get the other person to die, not you. Said, some people are ready to die. Some people are ready to kill. Some people are ready to do both. That's what I said. And that is a bad plan. Ask anyone who's ever actually survived the battle, and they'll tell you, that's a fucking stupid plan. Again, I'm not part of these groups. I don't know what their plans are. <laughs> and I suggest no one be part of them because your ass will get shot. Well, you got to be part of the group and be in the meetings when they're talking about strategy to uh -huh. be critique. You can't critique across and the And when that FBI agent stands up and suggests that y'all make a bomb or plan an attack, you know to get your ass out the room because those are the ones who are suggesting it. Those are the ones who end up infiltrating groups. Do I have to bring up COVID? <laughs> that's, that's not the group's fault. That's the FBI's fault. That's the FBI doing what the FBI does. That's the group's fault for not vetting. That's the group's fault for actually going forward with a dumbass plan like that. That is very much the group's fault, too. Again, the problem with America is not the actions of black folks. So I'm not going to critique what the black folks are trying to do, whatever they're trying to do. Okay. You dig? I disagree. There are some <laughs> bad things. I, I mean, I... I I'm not going to put slavery on this. I'm not going to put segregation on this. I'm not putting Jim Crow on this. I'm not putting the modern-day Jim Crow on this, the new Jim Crow on um, You know, people come up with different ideas and different strategies, uh, and, they, and they run the gambit. Um, you know, I try to understand them as best as I can, but I don't judge them or critique them personally, right? That's my, that's my personal take. Because that's going to go into what we're going to uh, after this. Um, uh, but I was just trying to see. Uh, uh, it was uh, Thomas Edwin Blanton Jr. We got Herman Frank Cash. We got 
Robert Edward uh, Chambliss and Bobby Frank Cherry. Uh, no prosecutions were conducted until 1977. So this happened in 1963. So we don't have prosecutions until at least uh, 14 years later when Chambliss was tried and convicted of first-degree murder in one of the victims, uh, the 11-year-old Carol Denise McNair. Um, and then they brought him back to trial. Uh, Thomas Blanton and Bobby Cherry were convicted of four counts of murder and sentenced to life. In 2001, again, this happened in 1963. We got two more of them being convicted in 2001 and 2002. Two generations. Right. That's <laughs> they finally get to jail. <laughs> because you and can't have a system that judges you by a jury of your peers if all your quote-unquote peers are hand-selected to hate you. And at the time, again, this is why we were fighting for voting rights, because you have to be a registered voter in order to serve jury duty. And voting because you have to jury duty, there was no black on the juries. That doesn't equate to justice either, though. I'm just saying, all right, but that was the strategy. That's, that's why they, they thought voting rights were so important because after you got voting rights, then you can serve on juries. Now, once you can serve on juries, then at least you can get a, a black in the room was the original idea. Once you got a black on the jury, now, you know, um, you know all it takes is one, uh, and you can swing it your way. Um, Try through jury selection. Come again? Try getting through jury selection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, that, but there were classes on that. Like, so there were classes that taught people how to get selected on the jury. Like that—that that was our strategy. So, no, no, it was, it was a complete thought-out strategy. Okay. I didn't write that. They had classes that said, "Oh, this is how you answer this question here. This is how you yeah. answer this question here to make sure you got on the jury." Yes, absolutely. You know, this is well thought out. They—they they were thought, but at this time, 1963, this is prior to the Voting Rights Act. So, obviously, we didn't have those kind of rights. Yeah. Um, 1977, we should have been coming on, but again, it takes time to, to really perfect these things. But, you know, we did get a conviction. I'm sure there may have been a black person on that jury in 1977. And of course, in 2001, 2002, maybe one, two. I don't know. I got to look that up. But yeah, it's just, uh, it's, uh, we just want to remember those, those four little girls. I mean, this week, uh, back in 1963, September 15th specifically, uh, we lost those three little sisters. Uh, Moving forward, we uh, we just came out of this storm, <laughs> right? Uh, that devastation. Oh, that was last week, and it got me to reflecting um, on the 1928 hurricane that hit uh, uh, Florida. Uh, what's interesting about this is because the victims. Were predominantly black. <laughs> uh, there's a there's a there's a, a show on Netflix called Explain, and the re the most recent episode has to do with hurricanes, and it, and uh, they were focusing on the town of Louisa, L O I Z A, in Puerto Rico, which is a predominantly black town in Puerto Rico, right? It's an Afro Puerto Rican town, and how it got smashed the hardest. Um, because uh, typically, you know, um, the poor parts of town tend to be in the valleys, you know, and therefore you're, um, you're more susceptible to flooding. Um, and then there's a the recovery issue. So there's some, the, one of the analysts brought up the idea that uh, when you talk about, say, you have your poor or you're rich, uh, you, if you're building uh, protections against natural disasters like hurricanes, you have a cities with limited resources have an incentive to protect their more wealthy folks because there are you, they want to keep them around. You don't want them folks getting washed away and moving because they might be a, a larger part of your tax base. So they're you know, your tax base. They're your business owners. They're the mm -hmm. ones who are going to donate to your campaigns. They're the ones who are going to make sure. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> this is a it's a hell of a cycle. <laughs> and, it's um, People are calling it capitalism. Capitalism is just feudalism with a fucking tie on. Absolutely. Just absolutely. open that helmet and put on a tie. Absolutely. So, again, the left needs to stop dressing up their enemy and face reality. 
if you face reality, we would be on better terms to actually fight it. Hey, I agree with you there. So, um, you know, and, and then um, they talked about yeah, the, the, the math of making sure that these people are protected versus the other folks. And then, you know, because of other other things in society, like, you know, accessibility to health care, you're getting, uh, the, you have more systems in place to make sure that you get funds. And it said that after natural disasters, like hurricanes, uh, black communities uh, lose part of their wealth, right? Especially sure. in places like Louisa, where you know, they may not have proper documentation for the homes they own. They may have been passed down through a couple of generations, and um, so they may not have done things properly. Where the white, I mean, not white, but necessarily, but white, yes, <laughs> wealthy uh, uh, counterpart uh, has more systems in place, people who make sure that they know they get the funds. Whatever kind of uh, recovery funds there are, they have survival skills. It's a different type of survival skill set. You know, if, if you come from a family that makes their living off of finance, guess what that kid learns early on? Finance. Finance. Okay, if you come from a, a more streetwise or working class family, guess what that kid's going to learn early on? How to survive under those conditions. Mm-hmm. That's all this is. And those are trade secrets. That's why they're guarded tightly. But, um, and some of that, and a lot of that political access, right? So, you know, the folks who have access, you know, make sure they maintain their access. Sure. Again, like I said. Mean, everybody, every parent knows that their kid's an idiot. But you still want to make sure that idiot survives. So that's how they end up with these cushy positions on Wall Street, how they end up with these cushy no-work positions in D.C. That's why you have a revolving door of fucking morons who continue to screw up our policy but never have any consequences. It's right in our face. People function with their incentives. If something's looking out for you, 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 you pay attention to that. You're like, oh, you're looking out for me. What do I care about anything else? You will sacrifice somebody else if something is looking out for your incentives most times, unless you are good. There are not too many good people out there. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so uh, yeah, the, that's the Okeechobee hurricane of 1928, yeah. uh, which that's actually follows the Miami hurricane of 1926, two years later. What again? I said it's a perfect example. Ask yourself, why does John McCain's daughter have a job just talking about her daddy's ghost? Why does Chelsea Clinton have a job influencing media? Uh, she no Biden's son. No Biden's son. There you go. <laughs> the man doesn't even speak Ukrainian. Over Russian. Yet he's in charge over there. And we wonder why there's problems. You know what? Again, perfect example to the complete clown show that is our administration and our media. Because as bad as Trump was, you know what? He was right on that. There was no reason for Joe Biden's kid to be anywhere near that country, let alone in charge of a part of its reform and its energy policy. But no, sit back and point the finger at other corrupt regimes and this is the next place we're going to bomb. It's hard to take it's, it's really hard to take the public seriously. <laughs> I understand why the rich do some of what they do. Yeah, I mean, people are sponsoring incentives. If you understand what a person thinks, you don't have to worry about what they'll do. Uh, but why don't the poor respond to the incentives of getting kicked in the teeth every fucking day? That's a lot harder to, to, to wrap your head around. So, um, a few more facts. So, up in that hurricane, uh, up to thousands of people that died, 75% of the, the fatalities were migrant workers who were black. Um, and uh, Zora Neale Hurston actually explores this hurricane because she travels in that area in her, her novel, uh, some novel, The uh, Eyes of Watching God, she discusses it. Uh, she's uh, she's uh, one of our great uh, journalists in a way, <laughs> in that way. Um, she, yeah, she did a lot of work in Florida. Uh, she lived in Florida. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. I mean, so, uh, you know, so all those who... Names may have been forgotten. We don't want to forget them. And so uh, that was the uh, Okeechobee Oki hurricane of 1928. All right. Um, next. Uh, <laughs> what, and this is what I find very interesting. Uh, Booker T. Washington in 1895 uh speaks at the Atlanta uh, Exposition. 
And it, it's fam- It's interesting because this speech has become known in history in, in, in our times as the Atlantic Compromise. And that's not what he called it. <laughs> he never referred to it as the Atlantic Compromise. And um, that, that makes it more palatable. No, that shows the, I guess, influence. Uh, of, of Du Bois, Du Bois, W.B. Du Bois um, is the one who coined the term Atlantic Compromise. So uh, in, the, in 1895... Is he trying to sell this idea to us? Is he trying to sell this idea to black folks or is he trying to sell this idea to white folks? Who? You talking about Booker T? Yes. Trying to sell it to white folks. That's why it's called a compromise. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, it's not. It's not. This is, yeah, it, as I was reading, as when I was reading up from slavery, it's very clear um, that it's a marketing tool. Up from slavery is a marketing tool, right? The, the man was focused on on building a university uh, to help blacks, by the way. Uh, but he knew he was working in a very uh, racist system, and that he needed uh, support. He felt, at least, he felt that he needed support of, of white. I always mentioned uh, sister. I helped keep the Molotovs away. But I, I also uh, have us make sure we remember Bethune Cookman. Uh, uh, Bethune Cookman was founded without white support at the same time. All right. So you have a black woman starting a university at the same time in Florida without the kind of support that Booker T had. Right. And but you might argue that uh, Tuskegee was a bigger institution. Um, but you also uh, have to look at where these places were being built. Alabama, well, yeah, Alabama, the South, yes, 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 yes. I mean, we talk about the in the, in the middle of Reconstruction or, or shortly after Reconstruction. But um, it's just interesting, and, and I, I, you know, what reason why this is also interesting to me? Um, it's interesting because the same way people make comparisons between uh, Malcolm X and Martin Luther King. They make this. They've always made this comparison between W. B. Du Bois and uh, and Booker T. Mm-hmm. Um, and W. B. Du Bois and Booker T. was far more. Uh, I mean, that was they were far more contentious. They were really contentious. Like, uh, what did uh, W. B. said? Um, he said about Booker T. Washington as birth in death as in birth forever a slave. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> He was kind of, I mean, people pocket big. Like, <laughs> he said, your mind is fucked, boy. That's what he said. However, he said, I, you are still a slave in your mind. I think that uh, we have to understand being in the North and being in the South are two different things at the turn of the century in 1895. Right? Even the, So, W.B. Du Bois was in the audience. Uh-huh. At Atlanta, he was teaching Atlanta College when they invited Booker T to speak and not him, <laughs> right? He was teaching, but um, Booker T had started a college. He wasn't just a teacher. Booker T had started an institution, right? He actually even started a program at Hampton. He, he, mm-hmm. he, he schooled at Hampton. And, he, and actually this week actually also marks the founding, the official founding, technically, not official, or the unofficial founding of, of uh, Hampton University, it's when they first started doing the classes under what is called the Emancipation Tree uh, down there on the campus. And that's where the Emancipation Proclamation was read as well, the Emancipation Tree. And so it, that was this week. Uh, and, but the school didn't start for a couple uh, years later. But uh, the first classes to black students uh, was 1861 in Hampton. Anyhow, was, uh, Booker T was also a student of Hampton, as we all know. And um, he... Help start like a, a night program because again the idea was education of blacks at the time we didn't have formal schooling processes so um, he was trying to make education accessible as possible so you could work in the field during the day go to class at night I mean he was I mean he was forward thinking right for his time right uh, if you think about today compared to today he was way out of well time. education wasn't really considered for the masses at that time either. So even get, bringing that level of education to that many people was revolutionary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But well, well, you know what? What I'll say is that at the time, the federal government we didn't get reparations, but a lot of folks did get money to build schools, and so uh, 
education of blacks was somewhat of a priority. I'll say that, especially during construction. I mean, honestly, that that's a little bit more effective than even now. If you were to give out just straight cash, what would that really do? Yeah, exactly. And society on your own. Education is key. The money's nice. The money helps. Don't get me wrong. But what are you actually building upon? And you got nothing, how are you going to spend it? You're just going to give it right back to white folks. Yeah. Now, now, the most now you have a place to invest that money. And that's what Booker T was talking about. So I say that to say, uh, when you under, when you talk about, when you criticize guys like Martin Luther King and Booker T, you got to understand they function in the South where it's not like we're in a tenement where we're like a thousand deep of black folks. You know what I mean? We're not like a block like, oh, it's nothing but black folks as far as I can see. No. We in the dark, you in a shed in the middle of nowhere by yourself for a few miles. That's what you're dealing with. <laughs> the clan, that's how, as I said, the, the clan couldn't walk up in the project and take Emmett Till. Yeah. Can do it in Mississippi. That's why I go off the handle when I hear some of these fucking retarded plans talking about let's go in there and shoot the place up. With who? You and your four friends? You're going to get fucking mauled. You're not even going to get within range of the, your target. Oh, that's wow. why all these plans can work. That's what I'm saying. So even putting stuff like that out there, you're going to inspire the wrong one. To, to, and then to, that becomes that becomes the that becomes the story like two years ago when they found that one freaking uh, Israelite in Jersey, and all you heard about for months was that attack. To push back on what you're saying, though, right? We, the country did just come out of Afghanistan, and Afghanistan, you weren't able to defeat Afghanistan in 20 years with all that military might, right? Because you did, you did. You people did, do not understand. You, look. That would take, yeah. an, we could do an entire show on the problem with guerrilla tactics versus mechanized warfare. Okay, that is okay. not, I don't think our audience is here for that. No. Okay, that that's I'm a different. Saying, uh, I'm just saying we do have we do have evidence of small, smaller, less organized uh, military operations being successful against the mighty U.S. We do have that's a, gorilla, that's a guerrilla insurgency tactic, and it's been successful throughout history. It's one of the reasons that we even have the United States. The French-Indian War, we, yeah. we learned from Native Americans on how to hunt and how to actually do ambushes properly. So that's, like I said, that's a whole field of military history and study, a fun one. But you would need to apply that way before you tell a bunch of knuckleheads, you know what's a good idea? <laughs> taking over the government? No, you're going to get them fucking killed. Do it or don't do it, but do it right if you're going to do it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, what, where was I now? Um, yeah, so, you know, I just want to, you know, book it, and even in Nothing Slavery, he does actually address some of the pushback from the address. So you remember how they wrote books differently back then, right? They wrote them and published each chapter. And I, they weren't writing books, and then they, they were just writing stories, publishing stories every week. And then, you know, when they had enough stories, they put them all together in a book and, and sold them off as, a, as one unit. Right? But uh, so the last chapter, he talks about the pushback that uh, he got from the address. Um, and he says that... Uh, when someone is accused of something and you believe you're right, so the best action is to shut up and say nothing. Right? Yeah. Let, let, let Tom be the judge. If you believe you're right, you shouldn't have to defend yourself. To a point, I would say that in a lot of cases it's true, but not. In, it's harder today. You have a media that is strictly controlled, well-funded, and coordinated. So if you're not able to mount some kind of media defense, you're, it doesn't matter how right you are. It doesn't matter if the facts are on your side. They will manufacture facts. We are past so, just manufacturing so, consent. We live in a fake reality. I disagree with that because the idea is that you're not trying to appeal to everyone to begin with. 
Um, I'm talking about even having public appeal at all. They will turn you into a pariah before you even have a chance to get your message out to the person in your neighborhood. And I disagree because the nation exists, right? The nation exists, and they were pushing Islam and Christian communities. That'll make you a pariah. Um, they they've been accused what of age. I mean, talking about what age are you today? There are people who joined the nation of Islam today. There sure, who still the, the nation, nation of Islam, Islam has been around for how long? My they point are, is, you once you once have your audience, the nation of Islam has its own media. The Nation of Islam is doing better than most others because they have their own funding, they have their own media operation, and they keep their shit tight. That is the oh, exact yeah. opposite of most other groups. So that's why these okay. tactics won't work with most other groups. And that's why I'm saying the media message is very important. But you can't work you can't depend on from having their history. You can't depend on MSNBC or Fox News. I'm not saying depend on them for anything. What I'm saying is they will do their best to step on you before you even left the door. It's not about depending on them to get your message. And what I'll say to that is that might be a good thing. Because if somebody is trying to step on you, somebody, somebody, not everybody, somebody like, I wonder why they're trying to step on him for. That's only attention. There's something that says there's no such thing as bad publicity. They're going to Okay. Before you even begin your discussion on what you want to do, you're already going to be labeled as, let's say, that commie. And then you have to compete with the idea of the whole, that's why they did the whole Russiagate thing for the like last three and a half years. Not because they wanted to talk about those issues that socialists or people who were anti-capitalists were bringing up. Not because they wanted to talk about like the things like the mutual aid societies and people actually getting the help they need. Because they didn't want to talk about those things. So it's much easier to make a magic word like Russiagate and categorize it all. So now you never even get close to the public that you're trying to reach. That's what you have to work around. And that's why we need our own systems of communication. That's why the Nation of Islam is still successful. Because they have their history and their own communication networks. And to the point I was trying to make, as long as you can communicate with your own group, right, they will. They they'll ignore the outside noise, right? As long you know, there will be outside noise. Saying, like right now, that's so why I said even we could talk negative about what we call quote unquote racist all we want. That ain't gonna make them disappear, right? <laughs> they just at best they might say they might just act right in public, but still gonna have the same ideas. You can't that. That's been the effect of the last like fifty years of public policy. That's what I'm saying. The media the media can do some damage. But it doesn't destroy you. Once the idea is out there, it's out there. You know what I mean? They, they don't destroy you. I mean, that's. I mean, this, I mean, this is history. That's what they try to do to Jesus, right? They try to say he was a heretic, right? But Christianity functions. So I'm not sure. They try to to set folks out of history, right? But it just doesn't work that way, right? But somebody's gonna say, "Oh, I wonder why they're trying to hide this person." And next thing you know, now they now they're more invested than they would have been otherwise. So you try mm-hmm. to crush. Them. Yeah, and also uh, what you said before. So the Atlanta compromise, yes, he was trying to get the appeal to white folks, but so were his detractors. His detractors were also trying to appeal to white folks. So you know, that's a that's a gray area too. But I just wanted to say that, put that there. You know, maybe W W B Du Bois, uh, he did form the NCAA with a bunch of white folks. He has to appeal too, then you have to go in there, well, look, this is the compromise. And even then saying it's the compromise, if you're actually literate, you'd understand that the word compromise, when they read it, they'd be like, well, then what's the alternative? Because if you're making a compromise, that meant that there was something else on the table. Okay. Now, Booker T didn't call it a compromise. You told about when they read, when they read uh, W.B. Du Bois. Mm-hmm. Booker T didn't call it a compromise. He called it the Atlanta Exposition Address. To to, 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 to to smear it, W.B. Du Bois called it the Atlanta Compromise. <laughs> and it has been known as that ever since. He did a good job. Because <laughs> he understood um, language. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Yes, yes, he did. W.B. Du Bois understood that. But um, so let's uh, get into our last couple of topics here. So mutual aid. So you wanted to discuss the difference between mutual aid and charity? Yeah. Uh, just touch on it a little because I – a lot of what we see going on when people get, in my opinion, when we get 
caught up in the parties don't do this, these groups don't do that. We got to really examine the groups that we're investing in or expecting to do that kind of work. If you're giving to a charity, we got to really look into where that money's going, who's running it, and why some of these charities have directors that are making hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not more. A charity like that, top down, isn't really going to get the effect that we're looking for. These are businesses. They're literally industries. People go into these things to make careers and move up, not solve the problems they address. A lot of them are even infiltrated and used as an extension of government agencies. Have you ever heard of USAID? If you ever wanted to be a, a spy, that's pretty much your first assignment. That's how we infiltrate other places. We've been, we've actually had aid groups and humanitarian aid groups complain because we'll use vaccination programs to move around intelligence assets. And this isn't just us. This is something that major nations do all the time. My point being to bring it back, mutual aid is more lateral. It goes across directly. So if you're dealing with a mutual aid group, you're dealing with something typically centered in your neighborhood or community and it's going to help those people within that in-group that's been affected. So if you're working class, you're going you're to be donating your time or your efforts or whatever you can to other working class folks within your neighborhood, usually within your own zip code. So I would encourage people to look into that and building those kind of networks because if something big goes down, if you do have another shutdown, which is looking kind of likely, those are going to be the kind of organizations that are on the ground first, already in your neighborhoods and able to link you with other resources that are close by too. Yeah, agreed, agreed, agreed. You're right. I mean, and sometimes, you know, mutual, like, like technically, I guess, like when you see folks uh, banding together after a catastrophe, technically those are mutual aid societies, right? Unofficially. They are, but they're, they are, but they're usually temporary and designed exactly. just for or organized around exactly. that catastrophe. The, the, the core idea and what could really make mutual aid work, even in today's you know, economy, is the fact that these groups are persistent. So just because you were brought together because of the tragedy of Sandy, if you're still involved, you're going to be ready for the last storm we had, Ida, and the next storm that we're likely to have. Because these are these problems aren't going to go away. If anything, they're going to intensify. Yes, they are. Yeah, that's I agree. That, I agree. I, I I like the idea of mutual aid societies again. <laughs> in, in the black tradition, again, you said earlier at the top of the program, this is a tradition that goes back way back. We're talking about. I mean, the Chinese had them when they first got here. Black people, we started them back in like the eighteen hundreds. You know. 1700. 1700. There you go. The African Society, which is a Michelin Society, is the precursor to the AME Church, founded okay. by Richard Allen and Epsilon Jones. And you know the AME, their record. So if that that's the kind of longevity and actual, that's a bedrock organization right there. And that's where it came yeah. out. So that's a better illustration of my point than I could even make. All right. Uh, and uh, I'm not sure if you wanted to touch on the black myth in American media or you wanted to. Uh, I would like to hold it for a little bit, but if I were to just touch on it briefly and give people yeah. something to think about, think about what the name of the day of the week is, your favorite day of the week, and then ask yourself what culture that name comes from. You, you asking me or that was her question? Well, our, our readers and our friends playing along at home. Or you, what's your favorite day of the week? Yeah, what's your favorite day of the week? Monday. Monday. You're lucky, that one's on the moon. That's one of the few. You got uh, Sunday, and uh, which was used to be a Jupiter thing. But most of our days of the week are based on Norse mythology. Okay, yeah, yeah, sure. I, I can see that. Tyr is Tuesday. He's the guy of war. Wednesday is Odin's day, Woden. Thor, Thursday. Frisia, Friday. Those are all Norse myth gods, and they actually lead up to the Ragnarok, which is the end of their world. So you would have then started after Freya, Friday. She would have been the last one. Then you'd have Saturday, 
which would start the cycle over again, Saturn, Saturnus. And then you go into, again, Sunday, Jupiter starts the cycle, the solar cycle over again. You get you, your favorite Monday, the oddball, of course. <laughs> you get the moon. <laughs> and then it starts all over again with Tyr, the bringer of war. So, again, that's just, the reason I bring that up and the reason I want to touch on myth and how it helps form a society and the way the society sees itself and our lack of black myth and the fact that we know these things, but we're not really doing our best to inject them into the society the way that we should. And I'm not saying we got to try and redo the calendar, but these are some we should actually talk more about and have television about movies about. I, I, I want to see if we're going to start having our own studios and whatnot, like Tyler Perry, please stop with the Medea bullshit. I don't need to see another Medea episode about some broken ass family doing the same nonsense. Do something about the Ogun. Do something about Ashley Vodun. Bring that culture, that history that people say is lost, which isn't fucking lost. It's right there. But we need to bring it forward. Right now, you have the Western media industry. The movies are ass. They're doing nothing but remakes and recasting. Same thing in print media and comics and everything else. So where are these other influences at then? This is our I, I time to bring those things media, forward. They're coming out with a black version of uh, Wonder Years. <laughs> Why are you doing a black Wonder Years? A black version of Wonder Years. I don't have anything wrong with Kevin. The Wonder Years was pretty amusing, but we don't. That's not our story either. If you're going to show, if that's the case, then show me something realistic about that well, era it's in America. Based on a black family in 1969. It's based on a black family in 1969. <laughs> the Wonder Years, because do you remember the Wonder Years? Does anybody, anybody who would suggest that shit must not truly remember that show? Because that was some real, you know, milk toast, heartwarming Norman Like they actually have a, a Hawaiian version of Doogie Howser coming out. Which, but that's what I'm saying. They are, again, that's not even real Hawaiian culture, though. They are anglicizing all these other cultures to try and smooth out those rough edges. That is, that is white idea of what a culture should be because then we can file off all the edges, package it and resell it. That is not real. And that is what keeps these maniacs invested in because yes, then you can be Mr. Mediocre and invest fully in it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm not saying our job should be to even fight those things. Our job should be to replace them. Give the public Absolutely. the option. Absolutely. I agree. I agree. Absolutely. 100% agree. Yeah, I mean, keep your Confederate flag. As long as I got my RBG, I'll be fine. <laughs> Don't tread on me, goddammit. Don't tread on me. <laughs> but a part of that, embracing that don't tread on me for all of us, a part of that is using your wallet. I want to see more people step away from the corporate machine. Stop buying Disney shit. If you truly right. are about that kind of liberation, you want to see our myths? Because right. honestly, if you love Lion King, then you love what it was based on, which was an older story. That was Kimba. Much older. Step away from these corporate monsters that are digesting different cultures and regurgitating them. I mean, uh, uh, Malcolm Gladwell, actually, on his podcast, uh, Revisions History, he does a teardown of most of Disney stuff. Disney stuff is absolute crap. As far even from as far as basic good storytelling, <laughs> it's absolute misogynistic crap. And it has been, but the, that's part of that fake identity that was manufactured for mass consumption. That's that's the America that people hate. That's the America that gets sold and commodified. I'm with you, brother. Yeah, yeah, I mean, word. I'm, I, we, what we trying to build? We got to build something, build our own. Just give me my own. I don't care what you got. As long as I got mine, I'm fine. It may not and be much, are, but it's mine. The thing is, people are hungry for these different types of media. People are hungry for these different stories. If it weren't the case, then you wouldn't have outfits like Netflix investing heavily in foreign media. Look at how many Bollywood films have been put on Netflix within the last year. So they understand that there are, there are other cultures out there. Bollywood, 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 
a whole lot of Nollywood flicks on it. A whole lot of Nollywood flicks are on there too. And that's the that's the difference. They're actually they stepped away and they said, you know, we really don't need the Hollywood big movies. Even China now is like, you know what? We were investing in Hollywood, but we can do this on our own. Yeah. True. Because they don't want Disney telling their Chinese stories and turning it into something else. Misrepresentation. But um, that misrepresentation is how you had the centuries of them being treated as coolies here. They've had the forethought to say, no, we're going to, we're going to take back that kind of control. And that's the kind of forethought and action we need to take because we're based here. This is where we're at. So the fight has to start here. So you have any uh, closing thoughts before we sign off to the good people? I would just say look into those mutual aid societies a little bit more. Um, and that's it. You know, keep it going. It's going to get rough. We're probably going to go in. It, schools are already sending people home. We're in for another could be lockdown. And their best suggestion is booster shots. Now, nah, man, stay healthy, work out. Keep each other safe. Uh, um, I want to, uh, you know, we always look at uh, who, who some of the folks who uh, were born. So we lost Jimi Hendrix this week. Um, uh, I forgot what year that was. Uh, back in 1970. And uh, today is actually, this week is also the birthday. I think it's actually going to be on Monday. It's going to be for the birthday of uh, Jean-Jacques Dessalines. All right, the, the 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 revolutionary of the Haitian Revolution, the one who actually won in Haitian uh, Haitian independence. Right, a lot of people confuse the fact that uh, Toussaint Louverture did not want Haitian independence. Uh, he wanted respect as a French colony, but Jean Jacques Lins wanted Haitian independence. And um, respect as a colony, those two words. That's like, right. That he really should have looked up those definitions before he went forward. That's right. Uh, so um, I'm going to leave with a quote by Jean-Jacques Dessalines. Uh We have dared to be free. Let us dare to be so by ourselves and for ourselves. <laughs> uh, so all my Africans, Africanettes, and those of you who are African adjacent, it's been a wonderful episode of uh, The Appeal, a.k.a. Walker's Appeal. Don't forget to check us out on otwtube.com. Uh, check us out on onthewakeupradio.com. And all the other all the all the other programs on here on the on the Wake Up Radio family, and we're trying to be that space where we represent and really represent for the First Amendment, right? No censorship, uh, free thought. Uh, it's a beautiful thing. Until uh, next time, peace. Look it up. Flawed individual. Thanks for keeping the lights on, Diane. Cindy Ashman On the Wake Up. So here it is, y'all. Are you tired of being censored? Shadow banned? Shit, are you just tired of creating content and making these platforms famous? Well, I'm asking you to support OTW2. It's the black YouTube. Why, you may say? Because our content is important and necessary. And because anytime we tell the truth, they shut us down on their platform. So we are behind enemy lines, so we cannot complain. We just gotta move accordingly, smarter. So since we know many of our people won't just jump ship and go to a black site, what I'm telling you to do is don't post everything that is great on their platform. Give them perfect people a 10-second snippet, a 15-second snippet, and make them come to OTWTube and come check you out. Support black things or stop complaining. Because only unity, black unity, and black economics can change our situation. Wake up, y'all. OTWTube is where it's at.